This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding Reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, guys, we have Matt Terillion coming by from the Great Deception podcast. He breaks down the World's Fairs, uh, Star Force, ties it into vibrational frequency. It's incredible. Now, uh, for the audio-only audience, he does an entire presentation, guys, with a hun- over 150 slides of images of star forts and the world's fair so i highly highly recommend you guys check out the link in the show notes titled expandingrealitypodcast.com that's going to take you to where you can watch the video presentation of this conversation for free just go check it out over there linked down in the show notes as well as all the ways of course to find matt and his amazing show the great deception podcast highly highly recommend it uh, also down there is going to be our affiliate link so food forest abundance get your freedom from fear on Libsyn, if you'd like to start your own podcast, as well as if you're going to buy any damn thing at all through Amazon, run it through our link linked in the show notes. It helps the show. So also, if you'd like to expand your experience with us here, go ahead and do it at that link. That's where everything's at. It's a central hub for everything. ExpandingRealityPodcast.com links to Rockfin for the premium stuff, as well as you can become an expansive insider on there for some extra stuff. And all of our lives are replayed there. Everything's linked up there. Merch, socials, all of the good stuff. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, guys, let's get to this incredible, incredible episode. Y'all are really going to love this. The Whimsy Flows with Matt. Trillion. All right, Matt Trillion hanging out with us on the show. We are extremely excited. We're going to get into some World's Fairs. We are going to get into some Star Forts, some uh, alternative history. This is one of my favorite subjects. We haven't covered it super extensively because I was waiting on you, brother. Uh, you were the guy that I wanted to get on here. So for my audience that doesn't know you too, too well, uh, just introduce yourself if you don't mind, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm Matt from the Great Deception podcast. I'm relatively new to this. I've, I've started my podcast last September, so uh, about, you know, 30 or so episodes in. But uh, I've really uh, got a developed an affinity for the old world uh, and especially the world's fairs, uh, star forts, uh, crystal palaces, all this stuff from the, the, the old regime really sparks my interest. 
Dude, it is so cool. It is so fascinating. I uh, cannot wait. Uh, like I said, been a fan of your show, man, for a long time. I've been listening um, just since you've been out. And uh, we run in the same circles anyway, Alt Media United. And so I'm super pumped about this, man. This is going to be great. I've heard a lot of your episodes, a lot of your presentations. So, dude, let's get to it, man. Where would you like to start? Uh, why don't we start with the World's Fairs? Let me get there. Uh, that's the wrong one. That's okay. While you're pulling this up, I'm going to let the audio only audience know that Matt has prepared an incredible presentation for us. So check the show notes for the title of expandingrealitypodcast.com. The video will be for free over there, guys. So just go check it, sign up if you feel fancy and, uh, check this thing out. So just a heads up for the audio only audience. Are, Are we good? Can you see my screen? We are beautiful and you look great, man. These are cool. I love it. Excellent. So basically what I have here is, is the World's Fair started in the early 1850s, 1851 to be exact in London. And if you listen to Michelle Gibson at all, she will say this was the fair to kick off the new era, the industrial uh, revolution era. Okay. The industrial age. And so one of the things that I like to uh, do uh, follow that she did is, is just give you an idea of what an exposition is. And so by definition, exposition is a text that presents one side of the issue. The purpose is to persuade the reader or listener by presenting one side of an argument that is a case for or against. So when we think about these things, they were called expositions. And, and, and you know, when you think about that, this is basically if you go by this definition, it says it's only going to present you one side of the argument to persuade you. And, and, and that's really what I think these things are about. Now, we'll look at the other, which ties in as well. The other definition would be a large exhibit, usually sponsored by a government or trade group to showcase the products and services of a particular company, region, or country. So that nails it, too, because that's what these were. They were they were uh, privately funded for the most part. They got some government funding, but they're mainly privately funded by the same people. And what's fascinating about them and, and, and Brandon, if you know anybody, any of these guys that are big into money, they don't like losing money. No. Right. Yeah. So we get into these world's fairs. And one of the problems is we start seeing them lose money over and over again. So here's here's some questions I want you just to really think about as we go into these things. How in the remember, we're in the 1850s, early 1900s. How did they build so fast? Where did all the materials come from? How did the materials get to the site? Where's the blueprints for the buildings? There was no machines, no trucks, little electricity, no electrical tools at the time that we know of. Horse and carriage and trains were your main modes of transportation. So we're told. Think about how many workers it would it would take. Who's going to feed all these workers? Where's all the restrooms, the plumbing? Where are they going to sleep? Okay. And then we get into it. Why are there so few construction photos? If this is such a marvel um, and you actually had people at the Chicago World Fair that would, would sit and watch the construction. No, not many pictures though. So why? It's just kind of strange with, you know, everything else is photographed. All of the electrical work, supposedly underground. How did they build all these foundations? Right. You don't just foundations don't go down that quickly. Why would we just spoke about why would so many fairs lose money? 
yet they kept bringing them back over and over. And, and they're still going on to this day. The latest one was in Dubai and it's called the 2020, but I believe it took place in 2021. So they still continue to this day. Where did all the visitors come from and how did they all get there? Now, one of the things is mostly they're going to tell you by train, right? Okay. So we look, look at all these different fairs, expositions, so to speak. And some of the cities are, are kind of interesting. New York is obvious, right? Philly is kind of obvious. Then you get into like Louisville. New Orleans is a bigger city. Cincinnati. Chicago is, the is I consider, the mother of all World's Fairs. And we'll get into that one. You, San Francisco had one in 1894. Now, remember, the gold rush was the 1850s. So San Francisco has only been around about 44 years, and they're going to have a World's Fair already. Uh, very interesting. Atlanta, Nashville, and one of the things, if you're watching this presentation here, this Parthenon right here, built to replica scale, is from Nashville. That's the Parthenon, uh, and that's from the supposedly built for the exposition. You have Omaha, Nebraska, which is a very interesting uh, site as well. You get into Charleston, South Carolina, St. Louis, which is another monster World Fair. I mean, it's the biggest by far, over 1,200 acres. Then you go out west, uh, Portland, Oregon. You get into Jamestown. Then Seattle and San Diego were smaller fairs. And then the largest after the fact is the 1915 San Francisco Fair, which, remember, is just less than a decade following the Great Earthquake, where the city was essentially leveled, we're told. Mm -hmm. So there's the fairs. Now let's get into some of the interesting thing. One of the interesting quotes I found when uh, looking at this is they said, everyone about us moved softly and spoke gently. No one seemed hurried or impatient. All were under a spell, a spell that held us from opening of the fair until it's close. And I, this quote has stuck with me since because if you think about, you know, word magic and magic and all that stuff, these people to be under a spell, you know, they it's very fascinating when you when you think about it. It is. It's kind of like the fluoride stare, you know, that everybody get that just complete disconnect. And that's what you see if you watch the videos. Anyone that hasn't seen any, watch some of the videos of the people moving around. It, there's no chaos. They're just kind of wandering, you know, uh, aimlessly. There's no destination. You know, there's no hurry. Uh, it, it's very, a uh, very bizarre scene, you know, almost something like, like they were placed there and we're just seeing this stuff for the first time, which if you think about it, though, many of them were. Many of them would come from supposedly the story is small towns across the U.S. and across Europe to come see this. And then you're going to land in, you know, this, for example, is, is the Great Crystal Palace of, uh, in London from 1851. Now, this is a very interesting fair because, Michelle, like Michelle says, this is the kickoff. So if we look at this structure here, this is the Crystal Palace and it was built on 18 acres, okay, almost a million square feet in 1851. And, and basically, it displays the example of the, te uh, the technology developed during the Industrial Revolution, okay? It was 1,800 feet long. So if you're thinking about the 1,851 feet long, it had over 3,300 columns 
10 million feet of glass and 600,000 cubic feet of timber. And on top of that, they built it in six to nine months. Does, I mean, that just, none of that makes any, 10 million feet of glass in 1851. Okay, now, so we believe that. You look at the interior of it. It's decorated lavishly. Right? It's not something that was thrown together. This is six months, supposedly. They were able to build the structure and, and, and fill everything in there a little bit longer, maybe two, three months to fill everything. All the sculptures, they had trees that they built around. Um, so it's just, it's just an amazing, an amazing building. And, and to just see the, the, this fountain here is supposedly a crystal fountain as well. Um, that is in existence today somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, but they have relocated it several times. Um, but here's the interesting thing about this million square foot building. Supposedly after the fair, they just took it down and relocated it over in Sydenham, which is, you know, a, a stone's throw away in, in London. So we're starting to see this pattern of things being built for the fair and then destroyed. So let me give you a look here at this slide. This slide kind of gives you an idea of some of the different fairs. Now, the top one is Chicago of 1893. The bottom left is Buffalo in 1901. Uh, we have St. Louis, Missouri in the upper right-hand corner. And then we have Omaha, Nebraska. And you just look at this and it doesn't look like this is America in the 1800s early 1900s okay <laughs> it's just i mean i'm blown away because the the chicago one looks like ancient rome here's some more examples does this look like architecture that we would find in just everyday america but no they would build it for the fairs and put up these extravagant buildings and what's interesting is you start seeing them in different locations very similar buildings now am i saying that you know, they didn't build these. Well, some of them, yeah, I, I do think they built, but not some of these larger structures. I mean, some of these are are just unbelievable. Um, we're looking at some some different fairgrounds and you're seeing it all over. I mean, what you see are these enormous uh, sites where they take over. Uh, most of the time, it's over hundreds of acres. Okay, the smallest one was in New Orleans, and that was, uh, it was like under 50, uh, 250 acres. So, I mean, we're talking about large areas that they are supposedly just building all this stuff, and these fairs go up in two to two and a half years on average. Okay, and that's why I said, remember those questions I asked in the beginning as we look at these pictures, because... I mean, they're telling us that these arches are built of staff and wood and that all these intricate statues are not real, that they're just temporary. And, and what we find at these fairs is that amongst the hundreds at times of structures they build, only one or two survive. And that's another very interesting point about all these fairs is, is why do you go through all the trouble to make all this beautiful construction, this ornate design, only to have it destroyed at the end of the fair, whether intentionally by demolition or, you know, by fires? 
And this is a common theme we'll see throughout the fairs. So we look at New York in 1853. They tried to mimic the London Crystal Palace and they developed the Crystal Palace of their own. Now it was it was smaller in scale, but it still covered, you know, four acres of land, which at the time it was one of the bigger structures and this is another thing that you see when, when you do the research into it, every fair has the biggest structure yeah. in the world at the time <laughs> built know. for that fair. <laughs> right. um, so this at the time was was one of the biggest in America at the time. Again, much like the Crystal Palace in London was supposedly made of a iron frame with glass panels. And then we look inside. And one of the quotes I found interesting from New York was, there will be gathered here the choicest of products of luxury of the old world and the most cunning devices of ingenuity of the new. So they're basically kind of telling you right there that, listen, you had a great thing going in the old world, but welcome to the industrial age. And we're just going to con as much as we can. It's like the conning age. Um, the great deception. And, and, and that's what we got. So another interesting thing is, is a 310 foot observatory they built. It's a wooden tower that you could uh, see like Queens and I think all the way into Jersey from, from this. So that was another really just cool structure they built all within this same time frame. And then of course there was an unfortunate fire that burned the entire uh, crystal palace to the ground. And this is a theme, like I said, we'll see over and over again. Now, Philly is a very interesting one. This was to commemorate 1776, obviously. I mean, look at this, this building right here. This is the main building. I mean, we're, we're talking acres uh, of, uh, of space. It was like 21, 22 acres this building covered. I mean, it looks, they say it's of the Moorish design as well. It has a lot of Moorish uh, qualities to it with the spires and the windows. And it doesn't look like this was just built, you know, just for the fair. Yeah. Um, so Philly, here's an interesting one. Supposedly they had 10 million in attendance for the fair. The U.S. population was only 45 million at the time. And Philly's population was only between uh, about, say, 700,000 to be safe. Okay, so I mean, the, the population numbers are just staggering. So they, they, they normally have about 700,000 people in town, but they were able to bring in 10 million over six months and accommodate them with no issues. Interesting. Okay? Yeah, because I mean, what, what sort of like city infrastructure would they have to do to accommodate for 10 million visitors? If they spent all of their time and energy building up the fair, I mean, were they out building extra hotels and stuff like that and restaurants? Yeah, it's not like you had extra hotels. I mean, they did have, you know, there were people that would obviously, you know, had like B&Bs, so to speak. They would have people in their home during these things and try to make some money off it. But yeah, I don't, I can't find it in Philly that they would have the amount of, you know, accommodations to be able to, to handle these people. I know in Chicago, for example, they did build a lot of hotels uh, around that time. But again, when we start looking at the numbers, it just, it's, it seems illogical. But another interesting thing I thought, so we're talking 1876, they had 10 million people. In 2018, Disney World, which was the highest attendance park for six months, only got 10 and a half million. 
So, you know, think of the scale of this in 1876, guys, and and the size of it, right? The expo was two and it almost three times bigger than Disney. And it only took about 22 months to build. Disney took 18 months. Okay. For, you know, so if you did the math, they not only did they do bigger, they did it infinitely faster. Yeah. And they had all the equipment. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, so you look at the, the Philly and like, whoa, 22 months in, in 1870, in 1971, it was just about the same time. And you built something that's three times bigger than what we built. I mean, look at the, here's the, the layout of Philly. And if you look on the right-hand side over here, you'll see these two very large buildings. I mean, those are, are just, they're massive. Uh, one was, uh, they're like 800 feet long. It's just, and they built all this in 22 months, mind you. So, yeah, that's the main building. Again, just a, an enormous structure. We look at the agricultural hall. And you'll see the same types of halls over and over as we go through the different fairs. You know, and, and the one that survived is Memorial Hall. And that is still there today. Um, and that's the one that survived. The rest of them were destroyed. Um and and that's what we're left with. So then we move to New Orleans. This is an interesting one just because at the time uh, to see where New Orleans is and what they put up and, you know, how New Orleans ties to the old ties to the Moorish claims that this may have been. This was one of the things you also see at these fairs is there's a very racist theme to them. Mm. Very um, white dominant you know um pushing the superiority and inferiority of minorities um and, and that's what you see with with new orleans they said this is going to be one of the the biggest tools to uh allow the blacks to show their progress since the civil war and now mind you what they did with some of these fairs is they had human zoos yeah. Yeah. where they put these people in in like cages and stuff so it's you know there's a very interesting contrast now here's one again we go back to we talk about construction times if we look here started in march a 33 acre building and they finished in september you know oh, it's just about six months that's it 33 acres huh that's interesting yeah mm -hmm. yep and there's usually there's usually a building that does sit on 33 acres at these. So if anyone's into numerology or uh, and knows any uh, brotherhoods that are into the number 33, that's interesting. And I just want to give you an idea of what we're dealing with at this time. The contrast in styles, right? We have the, and this the one on the left is at the fair where you have a stand selling lemonade in the background, and this man is plowing the field with horse and carriage. But you have this elaborate building in the background. It just, it just, it doesn't jive. It doesn't match up. Conceptually. It doesn't, no, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. So, you know, we look at these fairs and, and, oh, this one's interesting too. The world, the organ, you're going to see that too. A couple different organs. St. Louis had one that was supposedly the biggest one that was built in, in the world at the time. And then the company went bankrupt after supplying it for the world fair. Um, so just little interesting things like this that we see and, and the architecture, I mean, guys, if you're into, into it, just go take a look at some of these world fair, uh, buildings because 
they there's there's some what they call greco-roman there's roman there's old renaissance you'll see moorish influence there's all of this worldwide feel to it and what's interesting i'm only showing you the american fairs but as we get into it uh not we but as you get into it and start looking international at the fairs you're going to see the same architecture the same building types that are are all over the world. I mean, this is New Orleans right here. This looks like Spain, right? This is, looks like some Spanish architecture. And, you know, at, at the same time, look, we have a Roman influence here with the Roman columns at the at the uh, the hall, the former city hall of, of New Orleans. So, so there's really no rhyme or reason to it. You get a little bit of everything, red bricks and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is by far my favorite and, and the most interesting World Fair. And this is this, the 1893 Chicago Exposition. It was called the Great White Expo. Okay. It was open for six months, 700 acres. Okay. Now think about that. 690 acres. It was swampland. Swampland. And they built 200 buildings on it in less than two years. And when you see some of these buildings, guys, they're not like, you know, the Walmart they throw up in your local uh, strip mall. The, these are massive, massive buildings. And they also built the world's largest Ferris wheel. It was about 264 square feet or 264 feet. I was doing square feet with my son yesterday uh, in math. So I got that in my head. Um, but the interesting thing about the Ferris wheel is that they end up breaking it down at the end of the fair and shipping it down to the St. Louis World Fair. Very similar to what they did with the Crystal Palace back in London. Now, what's mind-boggling about Chicago, okay? At the time, Chicago had about a million people. They drew 27.3 million people in a little over five, six-month time span. Jeez. And so it cost them about 30 million to make, and they made a profit. This is one of the few fairs that did make a profit. And they made about $3 million supposedly. So, and, and what I've found, and I found this later in my research was they supposedly used about 40,000 workers. Now <laughs> doing the numbers, it just does not, does not add up. Now, again, what happened 22 years prior, the great Chicago fire which supposedly leveled a lot of the city, 200 million in damage, which at the time, which would be 3.7 billion now, you know, destroyed 18,000 buildings. How many buildings could they really have at that time? You know, so think about this. And then 20 years later, this is what, you know, this is the devastation of the fire. And then we're gonna 20 years later have this all of this now here's an interesting connection anybody that likes to draw connections the uh director of the chicago world's expo is none other than abram m rothschild there so that, is. that name might interest you a little bit for anyone that that knows anything about it now another thing i found interesting is this arch here that we find at the uh chicago expo it has columbus in the middle but then if we look over on the side, these are all Roman goddesses, okay? And these are the same Roman goddesses that we see in the apotheosis of Washington on the ceiling of the Capitol. So 
uh, very symbol, a lot of symbolism in these fairs. Okay. For those of you that don't believe it and think we're exaggerating, look into it. And I won't, I'll leave that for you there. But here are some of the construction photos that we have been provided. Okay. You're given us outside structure. You can't really see what's underneath it. Or you're given middle of a swampland and there's just a bunch of boards, you know, planks that they've drilled in. Um, you know, you see some framing. And again, I'm not saying that none of these buildings were built. I do believe that they built a bunch of buildings for these fairs. But at the same time, if you hook up here with, with the tools that they're using to clear the land at the time, how are they going to get us to, oh, here, <laughs> for those watching, here's the Chicago World Fair over here, that, which was held in Jackson Park. Okay, this is the outside of it. You could fit Magic Kingdom and Epcot inside of it and still have the whole Midway, and you'll understand the Midway in a minute, free. Jeez, it's massive. Think about the size, okay? That's 700 acres. It just, it, and they did this in two years, okay? And we're starting to look at some of the buildings, the manufacturer's building, 30 acres, the machinery building, 18 acres, transportation building, 16, okay? So we're not talking about small structures. Uh, now, now look at the detail, okay? Let alone the number. Right. For the Chicago World Fair, they supposedly built, uh, what is it, about 200 buildings between buildings for these, what they considered the 14 great buildings, which some of them were looking at right here in the Court of Honor. But then each uh, state of the United States at the time had their own building. A lot of nations from around the world, you know, over 30 or 40 nations around the world would have their own buildings. But if you look at this, man, it screams ancient Rome. Right. And that's what we're seeing is is almost the passing of the torch from Rome to the new Rome, mm -hmm. which is going to be America. And we're going to see Roman symbolism throughout. Colombia is one of them. She is, uh, you know, the golden lady of the it was 65 feet tall. And supposedly she was made of all gold, whether it was gold leaf or solid gold. You'll get different differing opinions. Now, what's interesting about it is supposedly at the end of the fair, they lit her on fire and burned her down. Mm. And it was almost like a symbolic ritual. Yeah. Like Bohemian Grove or something. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, you look at these, these, and again, I, I'll, I'll just call this out. You look at the peristyle, it's 600 feet long, 60 feet wide, 60 feet high. You know, you see the numerology there, the 666s, you know, they're just... It's, you know, I, I dress drawn at straws, but at the same time, they love their numbers. They love their symbols. Yes, I do. But just look at the detail here of this touched up photo. I mean, it's just breathtaking to think about it. And again, they have 14 great buildings. All right. Out of the 200, there's 14 that are uh, just amazing. And we'll run through them real quick. The manufacturer's building is a, is a mammoth. It was the biggest building at the time for this fair. It could hold upwards of 300,000 people. In this picture right here, you're looking at about 100,000 at the opening ceremony. Um, but this building, so think about that. That's three college football stadiums full of that, that could fit inside this one building. I mean, it, and that was it. That's one of the buildings. 
You're looking at this machinery hall. And remember, guys, these this was all built on swamplands. Swampland, okay? I mean, the, the buildings are just... If these are built of wood and staff and stucco, I am... I'll, I'm blown away because this is the greatest forgery ever known to man. Okay, and here's where we get into the human zoos. Chicago was big for it. And it's it's basically where they would take different, they call them human beings, exotic human beings, but real, it's just different cultures. And they would put them in little zoos and show you how they lived on a daily basis. I mean, talk about the most racist and degrading thing you, you could do uh to people that's gross but this was so gross this was their thing then we get into infantoriums okay they had baby incubators at these fairs where they would have uh live babies on display and these supposed incubators that were able to keep premature babies alive and the first ones were displayed at the chicago exhibition which that gets us into a whole nother thing. If you want to look into babies and, and orphan trains and orphanages and all that stuff. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. So here's the Chicago, uh, the Ferris wheel. All right. It's amazing because it held over 2000 people at a time. Uh, it had 36 cars that held 60 people each. They started doing weddings on it. And then uh, of course, after the St. Louis fair, they blew it up with dynamite. Why would we keep it? Why would we keep it going? They just decided to blow it up. Um, all sorts of cool things at the Chicago Fair, movable sidewalk. Then you had the H.H. Holmes, who's supposedly one of the greatest serial killers ever. And actually, uh, they are doing a show that's going to be coming out soon, The Devil in the White City with Keanu Reeves on this topic. So I'm interested to see how they portray the World's Fair and this uh, so anyone that's interested, be, be on the lookout for that. The final thing about Chicago, really, other than the end, the way it ended is on the uh, third to last day, the mayor of Chicago was murdered. Um, so they cut the fair short, you know, by a couple days and kind of had instead of having a big ceremonial ending, it kind of ended abruptly. Now, this this idea of of the assassination or murder, this isn't the only fair it happens at in in 1901 in Buffalo. Actually, President McKinley is assassinated at the fair. And there's a lot of symbolism in that one. Um, So here with Chicago, one of the things and and I'm going to try and be quick with this because I want to get to some of the other stuff. But these guys are talking about how the fair is going to end before it ends. And he says, indeed, it is the ambition of all concerned to have it swept away in the same manner in which it appeared and with the utmost dispatch for economy, as well as for obvious reasons, it has been proposed that the most glorious way would be to blow up the buildings with dynamite. Another scheme is to destroy them with fire. The last would be easiest and the uh, grandest spectacle, except for the danger of flying embers in the event of the change of wind from the lake. This is Charles McKim, one of the creators of the fair. All right. And and, I mean, so they're talking about having this thing, just sending it out in a blaze of glory. And it does. There's three large fairs. There was one fire during the fair and then three large fires after the fair that destroy it. One in 1894 in January takes out the court of honor. One in July takes out the um, seven of the great buildings. I mean, and this is what you have left. I mean, you look at some of the photos and it doesn't look like a normal fire. There is just utter devastation. 
and uh, and then the closing ritual where they supposedly lit the Statue of Columbia on fire and then burnt her down. So, and again, here's what we're left with from the fair. Out of all those amazing buildings, the only one that's still there is the Palace of Fine Arts, which is the Chicago Museum of uh, History, I believe, or Art History. And then you have the Congress building is stu- still there too, which is the Art Institute. But then the other two were moved off site. That's the Norway Pavilion and the main pavilion. So we're going to run through these next couple fairs relatively quickly just to show you the things, because I would like to touch on some star forts here real quick. But you got to see Nashville is called the Athens of the South. It had a pyramid. Uh, It had uh, Parthenon. I mean, you look at the design of these things, guys, and it just it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like they could make it fake. It looks so real. And this one, Parthenon was built to scale. Here's them supposedly building it. It looks like they're modifying, renovating it. It looks like it's already intact. It does, yeah. Um, The pyramid, very symbolic, right? On multiple levels. Um, Memphis ties to Egypt, right? And there's a lot of talk about this area tying to Egypt and, and all along the Mississippi um and again you just look at some of the architecture and the size of these buildings that were just supposedly built and then they're destroyed you know and we look at omaha nebraska in 1898 like this is not what i pictured omaha nebraska looking like in 1898 and it's like a grand city in the middle of nowhere um and that's one of the things you know you start thinking about these expos and were these old great cities right that they just found dead or uncovered and and were these at one time in american history great cities of old um you find electricity in all these which is amazing at the time because it's not common until the late 1800s early 1900s that you start seeing it in cities and in some rural areas but i mean we just look at these buildings and it's just one after the other they're just beautiful they're monsters And then we look here at the picture and what do you see? A bunch of white gentlemen in suits with their hands in their pocket. Okay, guys, if you know your symbolism, you're going to start seeing over and over that this these aren't just fairs. These were indoctrination camps. These were to tell you what to think and how to think about things. This was CNN and Fox News before they were available. This was a reeducation of the people of the time. A lot of which may not have been Americans, but were brought here to become Americans. And this is how they were brought into it. Um, And this is where you get these numbers. So we look at Buffalo. Buffalo is a fascinating one because I never heard of it until about five years ago. And you think about Buffalo, New York, and, you know, that's not really a place. But then you look at this and this is 1901. Buffalo's lit up like New York City. Uh, Just a beautiful, beautiful sight. And uh, and McKinley is shot at the end and supposedly it's all destroyed. And they tried to save the electric tower. The city did. And they couldn't raise the money in time. So they destroyed it. It's like, guys, and you have to think at this time, right? They couldn't find anything better to do with these buildings than just destroy them. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, we're looking at this Paris. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I was going to say, it makes sense if you look at it the way you and I do. It doesn't make yes. sense. The official story doesn't make sense at all. 
No, no. If you're if you are trying to present, like we said in that quote before, they're showing you all the luxury of the old world, right? All of that we had all this architecture. There was probably free energy. You know, people lived healthier. They used cathedrals as healing centers. And then we're going to give you the industrial age where we start bringing in oil and pharmaceuticals and, you know, and we were creating workers. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a reset in a sense. Yep. Um, and, and here's another one that's just fascinating is St. Louis, 1,272 acres they built. Um, a couple of these buildings today are, are, are on the campus of Washington University and still exist. But I mean, you look at this, look at the size. I mean, you look at some of these people, they're little ants. And these buildings are, are just massive structures that we built for, what, six months just to, just to put them up and tear them down. And, and St. Louis had over 1,200 buildings they built for this fair. So, or, you know, 1,200 buildings at the fair. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And again, what do we see? You see kind of an obelisk, right? Always got to have the phallic symbol at every fair. You can't go anywhere without it. Um, here's some kind of construction photos. You see some steel framing going up. Uh, you see some stuff in some buildings already up in the backgrounds. So, you know, you got to kind of make do with what you can here, but it doesn't look like a huge construction site that you would expect bustling, um, with people and, and horse and carriage and supplies. There's just not much. It's almost like a dead site. Yeah, it is like they found it like that and then just decided to continue. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like this is how it was left for them. Okay. How do we finish it? And, and that's where I think, okay, yeah, they did have to use wood and stucco because they didn't understand how to build like this. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, shit, we got to try and keep this up. We're, we're not going to be able to keep these this facade up that we know how to maintain these buildings. We got to get rid of them. Um, this happens in wall construction in uh, Mesoamerican countries as well. Uh, they do this with they'll they'll find like old Inca or Aztec and then the wall construction is incredible. And then the newer uh, construction that was built just on top of it, kind of like what they did at Baalbek or any of these other places where they take existing structures and then build what they're capable of doing, which was nothing like what was before them. And they just slap it on top. And that's how they know that it was built differently because the, the knowledge wasn't there. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we're finding. You know, you see the different tiers. I went to uh, Belize and that was one of the things I saw there was you saw the different eras where there was one level of building and then the next was a to you, totally different building. Didn't match whatsoever. It was just placed on top. Yeah, it's odd. And so this model is, is prevalent throughout history. So why wouldn't it have happened in this case as well? Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And one of the interesting things I found is, is they, they can't go without, you know, throwing a little propaganda in your face. You get some dinosaur skeletons at the exhibits and everything. So no, no, no chances missed on their part. But uh, I mean, that's the world's fairs in a nutshell. Okay. I mean, we can, we can keep looking San Fran. I'll give you a quick look at that. That's another one. Again, 10 years guys after nine years after the great fire earthquake. Um. And again, we see in the, in the symbolism, in, in the uh, artwork, but we just look at the grounds. I mean, they did all this. It's just an amazing site. The buildings are beautiful. The landscaping was beautiful. They had arches and, you know, and supposedly the only thing that lasts is, is the Palace of Fine Arts. 
and uh you know it's just it's 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 a crime what they've done you know you look at all these beautiful buildings and the bill graham civic auditorium also survived uh, from this time. That's the only other building from the fair to survive. And most of them met the unfortunate demise, whether intentional or quote unquote accidental by fire. Um, all right, let me see. Let's, let me show you a little star forts to change track. You have anything else on that, Brandon? Dude, I just, I mean, you're incredible with this information. Yes, there's so much to cover. You did a phenomenal job. So first of all, thank you. And second of all, guys, linked in the show notes is all the ways to find him and his show. Go check it out. He goes into such great detail. Uh, and this is just amazing. So that's all I wanted to say is thank you for this. This is awesome. Yeah, no. And this is kind of a crash course, guys. I've done ep multiple episodes on all these topics. So like Brandon said, you can come over to my, my page and check them out. And I have some YouTube videos up. You can go check those out too, where I dive into these presentations. But what we're going to do here is a quick overview of some star forts. For those of you who may or may not have heard of them, they're found throughout the world. Okay. And what they are, are structures that they have very geometric patterns to them. Um, and, and this map here just kind of shows that they're everywhere. It kind of shows some castles with it. And there's just structures all over the world. Um, Europe is heavy in them, but don't be fooled. North America has a lot. South America has a lot. Um, you, you find them all over the world. Now, do they tie in with ley lines? That's one of the questions that everyone's asking. Are they part of the old natural earth grid, right? That where our buildings worked with the ether and, and as a network, not only for free energy, healing, possibly frequency transmissions, you know, multiple uh, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to possibilities. Um, but as we look at these forts, what we're going to start seeing is similar in different parts of the world. The one on the left is in Denmark. The one on the right is in Japan. But Damn. look at the design. Guys, if you're telling me they're going to go through all this effort, this intricate design just for a defensive structure. And that's what we're told. We're told that these are, and, and an interesting term they use to describe them are batteries. Think about it that way. Think about the multiple meanings of the word battery. Okay. Uh, the star forts first appeared in, in like the late 1500s. Um, uh, or, no, probably 14, 15th, 16th century, I should say. There's no real idea of how many exist today because they're still being uncovered uh, via Google Maps uh, to this day. There's you know anywhere between five and ten thousand, I would say, uh, in over sixty countries around the world. Um, one of the interesting things is if you're you're going to get into the story of it, supposedly Michelangelo uh, had his design in in some of the original ones for Florence back in the 16th century. But I don't know, you know, you hear these names get thrown around and sometimes it's just for clout, right? Yep. But we'll, what we'll do is very rarely. Now, I say here there are no two stars that are exactly the same. Usually you do not find these these structures are identical. Everyone is is relatively different. They vary in, in size, shape, scope, height, Um even the pattern with inside the, the building. But what you'll see is there's usually water present 
or there was water present at the time before it was diverted away from these structures. Because that's one of the things you'll see too, as you if you do any research and, and some great people to look at are, are autodidactic. They do great work on star forts. Um, Michelle Gibson's done some great work on star forts as well. John Levy's looked at them, but uh, autodidactic really drills into them from the Google Earth perspective. And you'll see where they cut the water line, which essentially seems like it cut the lifeline away from the star fort. Because if you know anything about uh, cymatics, it, the, the water is, is a very important element in it. It's conductive and it takes shape. It has, uh, uh, takes the shape of different frequencies. So it, it's almost like this structure needed that water around it, not only for, you know, quote unquote defensive purposes, but it also needed it there for the energy. Yeah, because you think of piezoelectricity with like what they do with the pyramids or what they say. One of the ideas about the pyramids is with that uh, those currents underneath and with the building materials themselves. And limestone has little bits of quartz. It's very conductive. And so with the right materials, with also a current, uh, that piezoelectricity occurs. That's why they have those. And you know this. I'm just for the audience. That's why they have those little um, uh, crystals and watch batteries. You just shake them, which creates a kinetic charge, which keeps the battery running. So this is one of the reasons why when Matt, you mentioned, um, water found at these locations and cutting off their supply, uh, then yeah, that could be physically how they operated. Yeah. And, and one of the interesting things about these, and I don't know if it's this one right here, but as we get into it, what you'll find is usually there was more star fort below ground than there is above ground. So that's another interesting part of the whole scenario is that there were many layers to it as well. Um, so it wasn't just as simple as it being what you see on the surface level. There were tunnels underneath, there were different layers to it. And, and I'll show you some up here in a second, but basically why, why were they created? Well, the, their predecessor was the castle, right? It just had these big vertical walls, um, which if you, you know, are into the story of the cannon fire and everything like that, they were a lot easier to destroy as they were just, you know, vertical. Now, what they did with the star forts is they started making them on an angle. And, and so, as you'll see on the outside, you have the angled walls that would receive the cannon fire a lot easier. Now, I mean, you're just looking at some of these designs and I don't know. I mean, that's it, it's just for defensive purpose. It's it seems very interesting, but they they just what they did is they would they would make the walls thicker. OK, and shorter. But since they were angled, they were much harder to penetrate and do any damage. Um, the cost, uh, they, they weren't cheap, right? Um, but it, it took a lot of people to do them. You had to have some sort of knowledge of not only masonry, but also of engineering, of uh, design, you know, uh, say some math background, because this is this is heavy geometry in here and, and, and sacred geometry. If anybody's into what Randall Carlson talks about, Um because we start looking at these and there's many different types and, and supposedly why they did the star fort is to prevent dead zones. Okay. As the enemies at attacking, when you had the rounded tip, you had these dead zones where you couldn't fire down on with a sharp point. Now you, you are funneling your opponent in certain directions. So 
it, <laughs> I don't know how much I put into it. Here's just a list. If you ever in, interested, these are the different uh, parts of a star fort. You know, they have names. Uh, there's all sorts of different types, but you'll see on this, this is all a slope that would be sloping down away. And then you'd have your bastion and, and your defensive purposes up top. But we look and I mean, these things are breathtaking and they're, God, they're all so over the cool. world. We're looking at Portugal over here on the left. We're looking at uh, Sp uh, Spanish over here on the right. And then we're looking at India down here on the bottom. And they're all these intricate star designs. And you'll notice in the one, the Spanish one up top, it's almost like the top has been cut off. So what, what likely happened was there was land there and it has now become overwhelmed by the water. Uh, and you'll see that from time to time as well in these. Uh, the polygon, that's not really interesting. Uh, let me get to uh, the different types. So there's like, there's multiple different types. I didn't even realize that. So you got a four point, a five point, they call them the long finny, the star <laughs> city, the hedgehog. Okay. And there's all these different, and, and I'll show you some examples, That's but what I, what I said before is approximately 50% of the star fort structures underground, um, different tunnels, mazes, you know, a lot of it, it the story goes, it was for storing ammunition for gunpowder. Um, it was, it was a better area to keep dry. And I don't know, I am still digging into that because I'm not buying it. Pun intended. Well, do you think that the foundation sort of could have settled like what we find in uh, San Francisco and another kind of nod to the Tatarias that there was some sort of liquefaction or some sort of mud flood action? Could it be that those maybe were originally above ground or designed to be or there weren't as many things below ground and it could have happened as a result of this alleged mud flood? That That's where I would lead. That was where my beliefs lead to, because I find it hard to believe that back then we had the ability to dig that deep in the water too, mind you. So you're going to have to find a way to not only stop the water around you, but then dig, build down and then, and then let the water come back in and hope that it doesn't get into your building. Um, yeah. I have a feeling the structure was there, some sort of liquefaction or, you know, mud flood type event happened or sea level rises. And now all of a sudden that building is now, uh, partially unsubmerged could be a nod to the cataclysm that happened whatever that was whatever abandoned those you know hundreds of thousands of kids right yeah <laughs> yeah the orphans right i mean in the 1800s when we're looking at you know a couple million people in the world and we're we're dealing with it it's like where did they come from where'd all the parents go there wasn't that much war but at the same time what are we seeing we're seeing insane asylums pop up so those who didn't take the message well at the world's fairs, well, we got another little space for you. We'll send you to this little camp away from home and you can relearn. And, and when you're ready, we'll let you back out. Yeah. If we let you back out. And Damn. which usually never happened. No, that no. that's a great point, Matt. Yeah. So, and that's, that's why I'm, I have a tough time with these because these are along the same lines. Everything that you read, is military 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 there's no other purpose for these forts other than military so we start looking at them though and yeah they do have some significant military presence or, or purpose right it, it is a very good defensive structure but are you going to go through all of this just for that little area it doesn't 
it, it doesn't add up all that work. Now, here's an interesting one. Look at CERN and look at this star fort. They kind of have an eerie resemblance of an overhead view. And that's what we're kind of thinking. We think electric, we think energy with these things. And that's, you know, I haven't been able to prove anything and I doubt I will, but, uh, you know, I'm going to keep digging on it because the more we look into these different forts and the shapes, and I'm kind of whipping through these right here, but I want to get to, uh, cause there's many parts. These field systems are amazing that are around the outside. What I wanted to get you to is the, uh, just the cymatics and the, oh, let's see. Uh, do, do, do. These are amazing. These are such cool. Oh, it's just pictures. I, yeah, and like I said, coolest. check out my video. All these are in there, and I go into much more detail. I even go into the regions, the different ones. Here's in the 1850s, U.S. built 91 star forts supposedly in in America alone. Now, if you think about it, if you know anything about American star forts, one of them is Fort Jefferson, which is down in the Florida Keys. And Fort Jefferson required about 16 million bricks to build. So where we came up with 16 million, who's making them, getting them down there, and, and we're building it out in the middle of the ocean, it's a, it, it's a feat to say the least. But uh, just to tie that in, what I, what I kind of feel that these star forts tie into is like our aura, like a magnetic field, right? And, and the human body has it. And I feel like you start looking at the study of cymatics, right? Which is, you know, shows geometric shapes based on frequencies or vibrations. Well, if you look at these, these are all done through an oscillator. They resemble a star fort almost to a T. Yeah. It's like, that's how they got the design for it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know anything about Dr. Moto's study with water and, and the, the way that frequency affects water, that's, you know, you tie the water in with the building. Now, if the building is the, is the base, right. For your, for your, uh, frequency, and then you're going to have the water be the transmitter. Well, now we're, now we're talking, we're getting onto something here. And it, is this the one that works? Yeah. This little video right here, you'll just see the different patterns as it plays out and it looks like any of the forts at any time you could hit pause and that could be a fort, right? I mean, pause. What well, looks that like could they've be used, one of the fort. Looks like they've used all of these. Yeah. You know, that's another it's thing. Just, Were you able to corroborate or uh, match up maybe the frequency and pattern with the star forts that are in existence and maybe match them based on frequency that they would have put out? That is on my to-do list. I have a list of star forts and I want to see what their layout ties to from a frequency and see what kind of connection there is there. Because I, th I think you're onto something, Brandon. Oh, I think for sure. well, it sounds like you're already there too. Just same brain here with this, but it seems like also that it'd be interesting if you could then maybe see what the resonant frequency of that would have looked like in that area in conjunction with the distance from another one, you know, or any mm -hmm. structures around or anything like that. Um, even elevation may play into the design of the star fort based on the vibration. Oh yeah. Yeah. There are so many different variables in this that, you know, this is going to be a long dig. And this is, you know, one of the things that you, you, you get into one area here and it sends you on different rabbit holes because there's so many layers to it. And it, it, it ties into so many things that, 
you, you can't wrap this up in a in an hour, right? You can't wrap these things up because as you get into this hour, well, now here, like you said, Brendan, well, now how do these tie to actual frequencies? Let's see how it goes to real life. And, and that's where I think a lot of the research is going now. And, and, and just by people knowing that they're out there, now they can say, okay, well, why? And, and, and start seeing, because it's like the churches, like with the different rose windows, each window had a different pattern. And, and it is believed that that pattern would influence the frequency that would be radiated from that building. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, and what's interesting too about this is the uh, similar and beyond all of this, which I'm, I think you're very much onto something here with the shape, the design and, and tying it to cymatics. Absolutely brilliant, Matt. But I think also that you see a lot of this where, where this really points to a global civilization, not an isolated one culture did this and then another culture did this. That's what's also interesting about all the buildings that when we talk about the World Fairs and Tataria, uh, these building techniques, and you can see this from um, from Peru all the way over to Cam. Uh, Cambodia, where they have the three windows, the uh, towers look the same, the hieroglyphs look the same, they, uh, you know, uh, worship the similar deities holding the same bag, the pine cone is very important, and uh, this type of iconography is spread out across the world just like these star forts are. So, I think, and I'm right here with you, and, and really the thing that you and I are both talking about is maybe we don't know exactly what's going on, but we know what's not going on, which is the official story here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they tried to even say, when you go back to the Chicago World Fair, they tried to, you know, again, they love narratives. They had 33 Italians come over to break ground for the first, you know, for the for the opening of the fair, you know. And again, you get into the numerology, you get into the the Roman connection. And that's that's what we're, we're starting to see here is, is you're absolutely right. We have to start disproving the narrative. Right. Just unc uh, I can't prove anything, but what I can show you is what is not right and what doesn't make sense. And that's one of the things I've gotten from Howdy Mikoski lately. He's been on a couple different podcasts and said it lately is that we we can't be out there trying to prove the truth. We have to disprove the lies. Yes. And, and that's that can be done. We can't prove anything, but we can disprove a lot. Oh, God, we do it with NASA all the time. Hey, why is, you know, why do you have a green screen? Why do things fall when they're supposed to be in gravity? How'd you get through the Van Allen radiation belts all that time ago? But then now they're telling us that we they can't wait to solve that problem to get through them. Like, there's so many things. And it's like, okay, this is where the concept of, like, flat earth and stuff comes up. This is where these ideas come from, because you can't trust official sources. And what you then ask yourself, just like our history, is, okay, well, if this is not true, then what is true? You know, or even just kind of like, okay, well, we only know what's not true. And then you just kind of go away from that. So it's it's one of these things, man. It's an inversion of reality. And really, yes. when you can dial in um, your uh, discernment to that, that's where questions like this come in. That's why I love your research, man, because you just point out all the dumb shit. You're like, hang on. This was the official story. How's that sound to you? And it sounds fucking dumb. So I, I love the research that you do on this. And your your work and your pointed direction is what's so damn fascinating with this, brother. Um, it's just awesome. So I can't wait to see what you come up with the star forts though, man. That's amazing. I love that you're tying it to vibration. Yeah. And, th and that's where, that's when it got me. Cause at first I was like, okay, these are cool buildings. But when I started seeing all these videos and it, you know, how things work these days, it's, it's amazing because I just started working on the star fort work and then all these cymatic videos started popping up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's like a sink here. There's, it's meant to be. And I put the two and two together and I was like, 
oh, that when I watch the cinematic, I mean, those are all Starfort patterns. And and so, you, you know, there's cool little videos like even this one here where you start again, it's just about frequency and vibration. And you see the different hertz and the different patterns that you get with just slight changes. Right. And I, I mean, I don't want to bore anybody with that, but it's there. It's just not, there's something to it. There's oh, something yeah. more to frequency than we've been told. Look at that. And, and, and the shape of these star forts has, uh, you know, and, and there's, this one's a cool video right here with the architecture of sound. What you are looking at right now is not CGI or computer animation. It's simply a bowl of water with sound playing in Steinmatics is the science of revealing the architecture of sound. Here we have sand on a metal plate. Change the frequency of the sound, and you can see complex patterns forming. Zooming in even closer on these patterns, you can see what looks like galaxies. Mystic Hazrat Nayat Khan said, Divine sound is the cause of all manifestation. The knower of the mystery of sound knows the mystery of the whole universe. It has also been said that sound is architecture frozen in time. So you may want to ask yourself, what type of physical architecture are you embedding into your subconscious with the music that you listen to? I want you to really, really think about it. I love that point. Sound is frozen, is architecture frozen in time. It is. Because, I mean, at the right frequency, buildings will shatter. You know this with a... Uh, opera singer when they do the crystal glass thing and they shatter it because they match the frequency of uh, the glass or the structure. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so we've talked about uh, somatics quite a bit on the show, actually. So this tie-in is absolutely perfect. I uh, And it's it's one of those things where we, we've kind of talked about it when I, I had a guy named Ben Carroll on, an incredible musician. He does the singing bowl stuff, but absolutely fascinating. And we talked about cymatics as it relates to kind of vibrationally what we are all experiencing right now and that discord from changing tones almost like going out of a great age of deception let's say to an age of enlightenment uh, at, on a spiritual level then that dissonance could be the shakeup of the you know interim of in between switching to the new frequency and so we've talked about cymatics a lot man so it's wonderful that you've tied this in yeah yeah, no, and that's that's you know a lot of what the uh, is where my my research is leading me is down that frequency pattern, and there's something to it, and like you said, it ties in with the churches as well or the cathedrals, um, and and the different geometric shapes they use in their windows, and uh, you know some of these tie, and and I would love to see the map, like you're saying. I would love cathedrals and star forts, a map with all the different frequencies of the you know shapes and how it ties to a frequency. That would just be, I think that is a key that can really help us unlock some information as to how things used to work. Yeah. And then when you talk about hertz and frequencies, this is another interesting thing. I'm grateful you brought it up because the, um, you know, the 440 down to 432, um, that changing of the standard tuning is something that really screws with everyone. And that's what he was saying in that video was that, you know, how does sound influence you? Um, just like you were talking about, about the water studies, this, I mean, same thing. It's, it's how your body receives it and what it does to your body, these specific frequencies. And so that's when they, you know, allegedly hijacked it and changed it to the 432 instead of 440. Um, that That's an issue. 
Um, that that's you know part of the reason we have, or what they say is part of the reason we have all the mind control and all the nonsense with our vibrations is uh, through things like hijacking even the tuning of our music. Yeah, and that 440 is supposedly, according to what the the Nazis were studying, it puts you into a state of chaos, um, your body. Whereas 432 is the natural natural frequency, and and you're it's at peace, right? And and so you know, I, one of the things I like to do is I'll like to listen on a 432 player. You know, it doesn't work. At, you know, it's not the perfect thing. It's not the same as having it recorded at 432, but it's any little bit that you can help your body out, uh, you know, I'm trying to do it at this point because we are just constantly bombarded, whether it's radio waves, different frequencies, good and bad. Um, and, and that's the interesting thing. If you think about it, Brandon, think about all the frequencies we're pounded with now, and they may have been pounded with the same freak amount just on the inverted side of it. Yeah, something positive. they were getting all the positive frequencies emanating out all the healing frequencies where we're getting all the cancerous and all the destructive chaotic uh frequencies just bombarding us constantly could not agree more uh you just point out uh the best mystery of our time man i really do think that there is definitely some some fuckery going on with our history for sure i think we can definitely all agree with that but the way that you've laid out the information is unbelievably mind-blowing brother you just you do an awesome job, man. Oh, I appreciate it. I love this stuff, and I'm I'm OCD to the max. So once I get into something, I go like till and like even for your for for the uh, World Fair show, I have you know a bunch of different presentations, but I wanted to put together something for you, uh, and it was like 150 slides, you know. And it's like, man, come on, you could probably do it in 30, but I'm OCD, and I'm like, well, they have to see this building, no, no, they have to see that because I, I want to give people the full picture. I don't want to be one of those people that. You know, I'll go do it all yourself. I want to give you intrigue to go do it yourself. Yeah. And and like I said, you did an amazing job. I'm grateful for the pictures. It's so whimsical. I was caught up in it uh, as it was going on. I was like, oh, yeah, this is I'm doing a show right now. Well, that's why so... I hate it, because, you know, I was afraid that I was just talking too much. And I'm like, Ooh. hey, I hope he interjects anytime. But I've had a couple people say that they're like, no, I get mesmerized by the photos and the pictures. And I'm just like, I can't talk at that point. It, it's all so well hand in hand. And then you as a presenter, uh, again, just the way your mind works, man, it's absolutely brilliant. So, um, dude, I could talk to you about this forever, but let's cap it on this one uh, this time. And then we would just look forward to this next time. Matt Trillion, dude, absolutely amazing. Guys, his YouTube, um, his show will be linked down in the show notes. Make sure that you guys check him out. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Come back any damn time, brother. Oh, Brandon, and I hope this is one of many. This is this is my pleasure. It was great talking with you, buddy. Massive thanks to Matt for coming by and dropping that dope knowledge on us. Absolutely incredible. He does a wonderful job, guys. So make sure that you check the show notes for all the ways to find him and his amazing show, The Great Deception Podcast. Absolutely incredible. I'm a fan. Go check it out, guys. He does a phenomenal job. So linked down in the show notes as well is Food Forest Abundance uh, if you want to get you all freedom from feel on, as well as Libsyn if you'd like to start your own podcast. There's a couple of months free with that link. And then also, if you're going to run anything through Amazon, run it through our link. It helps the show for something you were going to do anyway, right? 
I, okay, also, if you would like to expand your experience with us here, do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com, linked in the show notes. That's going to be a central hub for everything. Our Too Hot for YouTube stuff's over there. The videos are over there for free, the video interviews, as well as links to all socials, merchandise, all that good stuff, guys. The lives that we do on Rockfin are replayed there for free as well. So check that out. A cool resource, and um, go check it out. It's really, really cool. So uh, go out into this beautifully mysterious place, and y'all just uh, pick up a piece of litter. Of course, be nice to everybody that you come across. Hold doors, smile. It's no big deal, but it makes a massive ripple effect. Just like buying somebody a coffee or a meal in line around you. It's, it's easy. It's you know no big deal, but it makes a massive deal, right? The effort is nothing, but the ripple effect of the results of that effort are tremendous. So highly, highly recommend you guys take yourselves up on doing something like that. As well as uh, get the hell out of the left-hand lane if you got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And then, of course, guys, go out into this beautifully mysterious place, whatever the hell it is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.